0: CJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. We are brought to you in part by The Warehouse. Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at The Warehouse at 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low it'll blow your mind. Oh yeah, boom! Time to welcome in David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former Cougar linebacker. David, good morning.
1: Hey guys, what's going on?
0: Well, there's the loss to Coastal Carolina, and I know people are saying, hey, it's been a few days, everyone's got to get over it and move on to the next game. And I'm curious, in your career, high school, college, is there a loss you never got over? We hear that expression. Do you ever get over them?
1: No, you don't. Uh, And a lot of it's because as players, what you you end up doing is, I mean, any spare moment you have, you think about stuff you could have done different, right? And you, you realize there's a missed tackle or a mis-catch or a misassignment that may have cost the team. And it, it haunts you. It honestly does. That's a, the that's a bad thing about being the athlete. As fans, we, we can get over these losses and you kind of move back on to your regular life. But as football players, remember, this is basically your whole life. Uh, and uh, for these guys, I mean, they've got to go back into that facility on yesterday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, in, in the next week. And, yeah, you're supposed to move on to the next team. But it's really tough. It's really tough, especially after an emotional loss like that. We had Isaiah Capucci on our postgame show. And you guys maybe saw the clip go viral a little bit. Uh, but you saw him just broke down. He just broke down in tears. I haven't seen something like that in years. Um, and you could tell how much this game meant to him as a senior and a captain, but really this whole team. And it worries me a little bit because, obviously, you got to get over that loss uh, and get ready for San Jose State this week. Um, and so it can go one of two directions. One, you can continue to dwell on it. Uh, or hopefully you build upon it and use his motivation this week going into San Diego State and try to put something together. But those, those losses, man, those sting. And I've had some. I've had some against Utah. Uh, and and we've, we've had some close ones against others. And they sting for a while. But, uh, you know, the real question is how can these guys rebound? Hopefully they rebound because they're playing a San Diego State team that, you know, hung with Colorado 20-10. And, and they've, they've got a winning record. And those guys aren't coming in to just lay down. So they better be prepared this week.
2: How surprised are you that it seemed like that uh, Coastal Carolina kept running the same three or four plays over and over
1: again and having all sorts of success? I was very surprised. Uh, and we talked about dominating the trenches. Listen, I went back and watched the whole game, um, and we talked with some of the coaching staff. Really, the defensive line wasn't dominated as much as I think everyone thinks they were, especially when you go back and look at the film. They were getting double teamed. Every single one of those guys was getting double teamed. Um, and when you get double teamed, all you're, all you're supposed to do is just hold your ground. A lot of times, it's coaches tell you drop to a knee to where you're not getting you know, pushed down the field five yards. Um, but where BYU really struggled in this game, it was, frankly, with the linebackers and it was the secondary. The, the corners didn't do a great job putting an edge on the defense. Um, and, and safeties, you know, at one point, I can't remember if it was at the end of the game, if Zane was the leading tackler on defense. Um, but at one point, he was the leading tackler, I think, at halftime. Um, and and so that's not a good sign when your safety is leading the team tackles, but uh, you know that defensive line, yeah, they they were getting pushed around, but was because they're getting double teamed, and it was more of the the run fits for the for the rest of the group. So I think that's what was disappointing. Uh, listen, with that being said, we can point the finger at this defense all you want, but at the end of the day, they gave up three points in the second half. Or excuse me, they, 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 they uh, the BYU's the offense only got three points in the second half. So. The defense kind of held their own. They had the one-long drive in the second half. But other than that, they had a couple three-and-outs and a five-and-out. And so, you know, offensively, there's, I mean, there's fingers to be pointed everywhere, right? Offensively, BYU struggled to fill up any points in that second half. And I feel like the, the theme of the game was just BYU's missed opportunities and shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, I mean, you think about everything from the short yard situation that BYU could not run the ball, the fourth and one, the, you know, the drop pass, uh, in the second half, the timeout, the third and 20 and a punt, you're calling timeouts. I mean, it, it just was a weird game where Buey can never really get any type of rhythm. Um, and, and it showed offensively they were out of whack. Uh, defensively, there were a couple drives that couldn't get off the field. Um, and, and that resulted in a, a close game where, listen, if you're not playing your best football when you go on the road against a good team like Coast, Coastal Carolina, you're going to lose. And, and it's just, that's just what it is. And uh, that's that's what happened in BYU. They had plenty of opportunities to to take that game over, and they never could quite do what they'd done in the previous nine games, where they were able to find that um, you know that extra gear, like we saw against Houston in that fourth quarter. They never could quite get into that rhythm, and uh, man, they came up short. But I think you guys, myself alone, I, I was I was fully expecting them to come through in that fourth quarter. I was like, okay, at some point, Zach's gonna make a crazy big play, and defense is gonna get a turnover, and, and BYU's gonna win this thing. And all of a sudden, I think the last scores with about 11 and a half minutes left, Coastal Carolina scored that touchdown and nobody scored for the rest of the fourth quarter. Uh, and it was just, it was, hard, it was hard to watch. But listen, it is what it is.
0: When you see all those mistakes, there's a couple things. One, pressure does funny things to people. We've all seen it in sports. We've watched enough games. And two, when you don't have the proper preparation, details slip away. And how can you be properly prepared when you're throwing a game together midweek, taking everyone out of their normal preparation? People don't watch as much film, and they don't get as many reps in practice. Uh, Is it one of those two things, or is it something else? 100%.
1: 100%. And listen, the, the tough thing about this game was this Coastal Carolina offense by far is the toughest offense to prepare for the O.E. had to prepare for all season. I mean, look at Navy that triple option. Navy doesn't even try to pass the ball, really. I mean, this is a true triple option team. Well, Coastal Carolina runs a uh, run, run piece of that triple option, but they also can obviously pass the ball. They didn't really have to. Grayson McCall only threw 15 times in this game uh, because they had so much success running the ball. But there are so many options off of that spread option offense um, that that will cause you fits. And obviously they've caused other teams fits this season. Uh, And so, yeah, this offense was very tough to prepare for to begin with, but then you give them very short notice, and it results in what we saw from from this defense. And so, um, like I said, uh, we talk about the defense a lot, but at the day they only gave up 22 points. I mean, that, that should be winning football. I mean, and then you look at the stats, BYU outgained Coastal Carolina 405 yards to 366. But to your point, the biggest telling stat in this whole thing was the time of possession, which we've all seen. They they had, Coastal Carolina had almost 16 minutes, so a whole quarter more of possessing the ball. And and if you can keep Zach Wilson off the uh, off the field with his explosive offense, I mean that's exactly what they came into the game trying to do. Try they wanted to keep the ball long drives, sustain long drives, and and keep Zach off the field, and that's exactly what happened. But um, but to your point, I, yeah, the preparation is. It's a huge part of it, and, and, and I think that's something we've talked about weeks past with the BYU team, a very veteran-led uh, team. Guys have been there, done that, and and that's when t- typically the, that senior leadership kicks in, uh, that veteran leadership kicks in late in the game, and I think, once again, I couldn't rely on that, on that experience and, and that preparation that typically they have. And so, um, yeah, very tough off to prepare for, and, and frankly, it showed.
2: Yeah, it was a tough offense, but at the same time, I agree with you in that, well, Coastal Carolina didn't have any more time. Maybe they had three or four hours more when the Cougars were flying. The thing that did surprise me was that, BYU didn't put up more points in that game. And as you watched it, you're a defensive guy. From the defensive perspective, did you see Coastal Carolina do stuff that maybe we haven't seen other teams do? Or did they just do it better?
1: No, you know, going in the game, the coaching staff knew the Coastal Care likes uh, to play a lot of zone. Uh, so the team that runs quarters, uh, they run thirds, and they basically force you to beat them. And they're, they're saying, listen, we'll let you do checkdowns all day long. We'll let you try to find the, the, the creases in the zone, but we're not going to let you complete the deep ball and the big plays over the top of us. Um, and and frankly, I, I think when you go back and watch the game as well, I think, Zach, uh, you know, missed a lot of underneath throws. I, you look at the, the play to – Romney on the fourth and one is a great example. He had Isaac Rex wide open on the check down. Uh, and, and he felt like he wanted to try to squeeze the ball into Romney, which, which by the way, Romney is a prime example. I mean, when's the last time you saw Romney drop a pass this season? I mean, uh, he, he was wide open, had a couple steps. Not wide open, he had a couple steps on the DB, But uh, little things like that. You saw, I told you, when's the last time you saw him fumble, right? And he fumbled. So, just miscues along the way uh, for, for this BYU offense. but. I think Zach probably missed some checkdowns, and that's what the defense gives you. you got to take what the defense gives you. And the defense was giving him that, and, and he missed a couple checkdowns. Um, but, you know, a lot of it was because they couldn't get in the rhythm because they weren't on the field because, once again, Coastal Carolina was staying, sustaining these long drives. So uh, it goes It goes both ways. It was just a really frustrating game because especially BYU came out that first drive and they had that big bomb to Neil Powell that gets called back because of the holding, which was a holding. Uh, but – You know, you just feel like, okay, well, it's a holding, but BYU will recover and and go down and score and uh, all will be well. But BYU could never – I mean, they were up at halftime, uh, but just something just didn't feel right. And sure enough, that blood in the the second half where, like I said, BYU only scored three points.
0: So is there going to be a carryover to the next game or are they going to uh, be back
1: to normal? You know, I hope not. We talked about with, you know, I referenced it earlier with with this uh, veteran group that's been around the block – you know, and it's senior night. I hope these guys come out and use this motivation. And they come out riled up and they want to prove that, you know, they're, they're the team that went 9-0 and and not 9-1. and um, And so, you know, I, I think they'll come out motivated and, and try to put a good game together. But um, we'll see. I, I think those first couple series will be pretty telling whether there's some uh, hangover from this previous game. But, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. I, I think there's still obviously – you know, we talk about independence, right? And we've talked about this in the past weeks with you guys as well. What What are your objectives and what are your goals as a BYU football team during independence? Obviously, you don't have a conference championship to play for, like somebody, like all these other guys are doing right now. Um, and so what do you want to be? You want to be relevant. You want to be nationally ranked. Um, and, of course, you want to try and get to a New Year's Six Bowl. So the New Year's Six Bowl game is pretty much out the window at this point. Uh, and so you still can be relevant and you still can be ranked. And, and so you've got two or your three boxes that you can still check at the end of the season if you go out there and take care of business against San Diego State um, and if you go out there and take care of business in your bowl game. So, you know, the, the, there are still some goals that could be accomplished here. Obviously, the biggest one is off the table, which is a huge bummer. I think those, we all we understand what was at risk when BYU took that game on and, and ultimately lost. Um, but you can still go out there and have a successful season uh, with, with what they have left. So, I think that's something else you got to keep in mind if you're a player. Not all is lost. Uh, You can still finish in the top 15 in the country um, and maybe even squeak into the top 12 in the AP uh, and, and, and see what happens.
2: Yeah, when you look at this game coming up on Saturday night, you can, there's a couple, there's all sorts of motivation as far as I'm concerned. Last year, that was a real pathetic showing basically down in San Diego. I don't think there's any way to say it from the offensive perspective and the special teams were pretty much embarrassing. So you have that going for you. And two, You talk about all how all isn't lost. Well, it took a hit, some respect here nationally. If you lose to San Diego State, then all the respect is going to go down the drain. And I don't want to use necessarily from the negative standpoint of motivation, but there is that. And at the same time, If you go out and just blow those guys away, which doesn't happen against San Diego State, you look at all their scores, pretty good defense. They're not giving up a lot of points. Even in their losses, they're not giving up a lot of points. So if you can run out 35 points or so that's going to show something and then i think maybe you know it's about perception and you're battling that if you win this game and win it fairly easily then you could point well yeah i mean they only had a few a couple days notice had to get on a plane and fly 2200 miles and here they got back to normal and they came back and they reestablished themselves so if you want to play that game i think there's a bunch that you can play it and set it up for the Cougars to have a level of motivation and resolve going into this game.
1: One hundred percent. I think there's definitely a statement to be made with how they respond, uh, you know, this week against San Diego State. And and to your point, this is you know people been dubbing at the revenge tour for Zach. Zach Zach didn't have a great game, obviously against San Diego State last year. Three the turn- whole offense had three turnovers, um, and and he just really struggled. Only put up three points. And so yeah, I think for him, this is one of those games where. You know, that was that was BYU's last regular season game last year. And then of course it went out to the bowl game. But um I, I think he wants to obviously end his season. And and frankly, this is probably his senior night, right? I mean, as a junior, I don't see him coming back in any scenario at this point. I mean, if you're a top ten pick, uh that like he's being projected, you're definitely going to the league. I mean, that's that's money you can't pass up on. So I I think this is his last chance to have it to be able to step on the Deliver Stadium field. So you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into it. I, I think Kalani will have him ready. Uh, you know, it, it, it is easy to have, like I said, some of that hangover, but I think this is a team that, that understands what's still at risk and at hand, and uh, they want to go take care of business. I, I think they'll come out there more with a chip on their shoulder versus a, you know, hangover and, and uh, kind of living in the past type approach. Um, but like I said, we'll see. Those first couple of series will be pretty telling.
0: So do you expect them to have much of a problem with San Diego State's run game? Because San Diego State doesn't throw the ball very well. They've played three different quarterbacks. I think some of it's been injury, some of it's been performance, but they're very dependent on the, the run game. So is BYU going to have a problem tackling and setting the edge and all the stuff you talked about
1: earlier? Well, they're much more traditional type offense. Yes, they are pretty heavy in run game. Jordan Brookshire, who's the quarterback who played against uh, uh, who's played the last few weeks. He's, he's a running quarterback, and uh, to your point, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like to throw the ball much. So if anything's positive about them coming off this Coastal Carolina game is the fact that, like we said, they, they, they got run on all over. And so uh, there's going to be some adjustments, obviously, this week on, on how to stop this, this run, especially with the quarterback run. But, um, I, I, listen, it's, it's funny because going into the game, BYU had a top-10 run defense in the country, uh, and, and I think we're all, especially after the Navy game and we've seen throughout the season, they, they stepped up to the plate. But to have a 17-play drive put on you, I mean, I don't know if I've ever had that ever. I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible. The fact that you couldn't get off the field in 17 plays, um, I mean, that, that kind of set the tone there in that first half. And you really couldn't recover from it. But um, if, you're, if you're a defensive player, if you're a player and you go back and watch that film, if you, if you realize you were part of that giving up 17 plays and let them score eventually, um, I mean, yeah, to take that one to heart. And now it becomes personal. And, and to that point, this week, for Santa State, you got to go out there and show that, uh, you know, schematically and, and of course, going out there and performing their, their assignments they just didn't do against Coastal Carolina. But hey, we're, you know, we're we're back to normal here. This would be against Santa State. You know, there's something you got to go out there and prove, uh, because 17 plays. I mean, it's just, I, I, remember watching it on in the game, and I just couldn't. I was blown away. And of course, you go back and look at 17 plays and. Like I said, I don't know if I've ever if I've ever been a part of that or if I've ever seen something like that. And of course, Navy and Air Force will do those seventeen type plays, you know, get to get to third and one, convert it, and then you know do it all over again and just march their way down the field. But at some point, you've got to get off the field. you got somebody's got to make a play, right? And I think that was the scourging part. BOE defense, nobody stepped up in, the, in that game and, and really made plays. And um, you know, but with that being said, once again, they still still only allowed twenty two points, so it just. It's a weird. It was a weird game because it go, the culpability falls on both sides. Offense, defense, you know, special teams played fine. Um, but offensive, defense, they struggled. And I think coaching staff, I think coaching staff maybe could have realized that they could have prepared a little differently and put in different schemes. But like we said, the short notice made this game really tough.
2: You think given this season, whether it's possibly considering joining maybe the AAC if you don't get a Power 5 or – uh, toning down the schedule or anything? You think there are any lessons to be learned that could be implemented going forward?
1: I think so. I mean, listen, I've, I've always been a proponent of stay independent. Uh, you know, schedule up the P5s. I think I think it's fun for a player and a, and the program. But I mean, come November, December, and years past during during independence, frankly, BYU hasn't really been uh, relevant. I mean, they haven't been ranked uh, because they play such a brutal schedule, and so. This had, and I tweeted this out the other day. I go, listen, despite the result against Coastal Carolina, I tweeted out, I think, the night of. I, I just was kind of reminiscing on how fun this week that week had been, right? I mean, you think about hearing about the rumors of BYU potentially playing. I mean, I, we sat last week at this same time, and I pretty much said, yeah, I'm not hearing anything. I, I think I there's no way BYU plays this week. And you fast forward 24 hours, and you've got this buzz. You've got the equipment truck leaving, game day. I mean, all they came together and. Of course, BYU lost, and that was super, super disappointing. But what a fun week, right? Uh, and the fact that you could be relevant this time of the season uh, and, and playing a, in a big-time game like that was, was pretty awesome here in December. And so, yeah, I, I think there is something to be said, PK, about uh, you know maybe dumbing down the schedule a little bit and, and allowing BYU to at least have a chance. Because when you play four straight P5s in September, man, it takes a toll on you. And we've seen BYU lose athletes in the past players in the past because it's such a grind so i I think Tom understands there's that happy meeting you got to find that that balance between still have a competitive schedule that fans want to come see and watch uh, as well as making sure you mix it with with teams that you can you can beat um, but it's it's obviously tough in a normal year it's it's much tougher because of obviously scheduling and when people get in a conference play they've got to uh, they've got to play within their conference so it makes it tough, but uh, I think there is something to be said, trying to find a happy medium where you give BYU at least a shot to go out there and, and be you know a top-25 type team.
0: Well, we appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on, David. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, folks. All right, David Nixon, BYU TV football analyst, former Cougar linebacker. When we come back, Riley Jensen, our college football insider, the former Aggie quarterback, joins us next. Frank Dolce is coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us.
3: Now let's get this party started. This is
1: Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network.
2: Coastal Carolina was like, screw it, we're not passing. I don't care if we pass a single ball, I don't care. We're going to go out there, we're going to pound these guys. We're going to beat them up. We're going to keep the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands. And they did it. San Diego State's looking at this, probably drooling. Like, oh, now we know these guys don't like to be punched. They don't like to get their jerseys dirty. They don't like physicality and abrasiveness and ugly moments. Instead, they look for the officials to throw a flag and, and try to do it for them. They look for their moms to yell from the sideline, don't treat my boy that way. So if I'm San Diego State, I'm like, alright, let's make this a street fight. Let's make it ugly. Let's muddy it up. That's how I'd look at it. Because I don't want to go in for with these guys because they'll score 58 on you.
1: Hanson and Scotty. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a festive home. And Zero Res has a deal for you. Thirty three dollars per room for carpet cleaning. Schedule at least three rooms. Get an extra room clean for free. Schedule with Zero Res today. Call them at 801-288-9376. Riley Jensen, our college football insider joining us. Riley, good morning. Good
3: morning, fellas. How's it going?
0: Good. I am curious as you watch a game like BYU and Coastal Carolina, it's competitive, it's exciting, it's down to the final play and the final yard and all that. But clearly we can go back a lot of mistakes, a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda moments whenever you have a close game. So how many of those you know, physical mistakes and stuff happens and how much of it is mental stuff and you think, man, if I could work with them, I could change that. What are you thinking when you're watching the game?
3: Uh, you know it's it's interesting because i am i am in mental performance as a coach but I, I felt like this had to do more with physical physicality than than anything else and and physicality does have a direct impact on on the mental part of the game right so uh, I just thought that offensively and defensively on the line of scrimmage that coastal carolina was really really amped up to play and I don't you know, I don't think it was BYU fans or anybody like that that was that was hard on the O line and the D line for Coastal Carolina. But I felt like they had a chip on their shoulder based on what had been said about them. I mean, I mean, I mean, even during the game, they did a highlight on the center being five nine, two ninety, right? And so there I am. I'm watching them go against Tonga, and they had a great game plan, uh, offensive line and defensive line wise. And I thought. It's really tough to win football games when things aren't going well there, and you know we we don't need to point out any offensive linemen, but there was one or two that had a really really tough night for BYU on the offensive line, and we just haven't seen that all year, right? We haven't we haven't seen them struggle, we haven't seen them have to to face that kind of adversity. I thought I thought BYU played well enough to win, but they, on that night they were not the better team.
2: Okay, so you say it's you know more physical than mental. Where does emotion come into it? Because it seems like all the emotion or most of the emotion was slanted towards one side.
3: Yeah, you know this is this is the hard part of, and and I have to give a lot of compliments to to Kalani and to the BYU team up to this point, because somehow they've been able to manage the emotion and and be able to understand that. Um, you never know when you're going to play, why you're going to play, who you're going to play. That there's going to be games that are canceled. There's going to be games that you think you're going to play that you don't play. And I think their mindset has been pretty good. For whatever reason, though, they came out flat this week, and it's it's hard to come up with with the right thing to say or the you know collectively as a whole for the team to play with high emotion every week. Now, I don't know if that's because of the trip. I don't know if that's because they hadn't played for a while and then that thing was scheduled on Thursday, and it's tough to get ready for, you know, a team, you know, in, in two days, let alone a team that's running their spread option attack that has some, some wishbone principles to it that are that are difficult to cover. But I don't think BYU is going to give any excuses. Um, I liked their attitude. I, I know people have been critical of anywhere, anytime, any place, all that kind of stuff, and they were like, "Yeah, but they ducked Washington." And, and the, all of that stuff to me is the right mindset. They, they should have been willing to play anywhere, anytime, any place. This is a good football team, and they came up one yard short. They came. They, they literally came up one yard short, and that's that's part of being great. That's part of like you you're going to put yourself out there when you're trying to be great. And to me, I, you know, in in the, when, when I speak to teams in general, I talk about it all the time. I say, you know, who do you, who do you think is the best football team in the country or the, who's the best football program in the country? And most people come back, they'll say Alabama or Clemson. And I'll say, well, did they win the national championship next year, last year? And they're like, no, Alice, you did. And I go, well, so why do you say Alabama or Clemson? And the truth is, it's because they're knocking on the door all the time. They're always in the conversation. They're always there. And great teams are always knocking. And and I, I think if you're BYU, you gotta be you gotta be feel you gotta feel good about the fact that you are knocking on the door of competing in a New York a New Year Six um, type situation. And and that's where you want to be as the BYU program every year. You want to be knocking on the door of New New Year's 6, and then eventually you change that goal to knocking on the door of the college playoff all the time.
0: Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. So, believe it or not, there is another game for BYU. You you expect them to be ready and beat San Diego State?
3: Well, this one's a tough one. Um, I've I've just seen it too many times in my experience where you have high hopes for your season – you have big plans for what the season is gonna look like and and you fall a little bit short in a tough game like the Coastal Carolina game and then this one's tough to get up for because it's like man, what we were so close, right? We were so close. My my personal opinion is I was I would expect BYU to be well, I, my personal opinion is I think it'll be hard to play well and to play sharp in the first half. No have I been wrong before? Yes. And will I be wrong again? Yes. But it, this is just a hard one. That was, that was a big blow. That was a big change in momentum for the season. And now you have to dig deep. You have to find out, you have to think about why do I play football? <clears throat> do I, do I play it for my name in the paper? Do I play it for the accolades that we get as a team or do I play it because I love to play and I love to compete and I love to challenge myself to play at the highest level possible. And that's, that's where you've got to get if you're BYU right now, is that I love the game. I love to compete. I love to compete every single week. We've been fortunate that as a team to play a lot more games than a lot of schools this year. And this is fun for me to do. This is what I do, and this is what I like to do.
2: So after the game, the Utah game on Saturday night, Kyle Whittingham comes out and says that they were vanilla in the second half offensively. You've been around this program. You know a bunch of people. Can you explain what goes through the mind of an offensive coordinator who is coordinating plays under Kyle Whittingham as the head coach?
3: <laughs> uh, it's tough. It's, it's, it's very tough to coach um, at the University of Utah as an offensive coordinator. First of all, all the emphasis is on the defense. All the emphasis is on – Um, playing really good defense and not turning the ball over. It's high stakes and high pressure as an offense. If one week you you throw for a bajillion yards but you have four turnovers, they're pointing out that you have four or five turnovers. You know, the next week you play really, really well, but your third down percentage is terrible. They're talking about how the offense really struggled to stay on the field on third down and got the defense tired. And then the next week you're winning somebody – you know somebody's in your ear as an offensive coordinator telling you to run the freaking ball and take care of the ball, and it takes away some of your rhythm and the rhyme to like what you're trying to do. you don't do as well offensively and then they they call you vanilla i mean it's just this constant difficulty of not only trying to 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 defeat the other team but doing it in a way that's not going to be criticized <laughs> even when you win you know i, I I guess personally, um, I've come around to Kyle and, and the way that he runs things in a lot of ways because I feel like it's his team. And I feel like if, if it's his ship, he gets to run the ship the way that he wants to. I guess I don't understand why you would say it out loud in the press. Like, I, I think you could say it. I think you could say it to Andy Ludwig, like, really, really easily, like, in your Sunday night meeting or your Monday morning meeting and just say, hey, what happened? Why were we so vanilla here? Right. Um, but I do feel like Andy Ludwig, out of all the offensive coordinators that Kyle has had and will have, is, is totally prepared for this moment, that he understands how Kyle coaches. He knew exactly what he was getting into when he came back to the University of Utah. And so I don't, I don't see it being a big controversy, but I do think it's difficult. Um, number one, because of the reasons that I stayed before, number two is there's just not that many $500,000-a-year jobs floating around um, around the country. So if you want to make good money doing something that you love to do, you know, you can look around and there's like, I don't know, maybe 20 offensive coordinators making that much money, and you're one of the 20, and if you get let go, that doesn't mean that you're just going to get picked up by one of the other 20 because those guys are all trying to battle to keep their jobs. So it's a competitive atmosphere. And it's it's difficult, but, you know, they, they, they knew what they signed up for as well. And, and I, think, I think Andy Ludwig, out of anyone, is totally aware of, of what kind of a situation that he's in.
0: I think a lot of what you said is really true and really smart there, Riley. But nonetheless, when Kyle was saying it, I wanted to be standing in the back of the room, waving my arms, going, no, 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 no! No! <laughs> And then when he came on, when he came on and did his, uh, I think it was on Monday, because he did availability on Monday and Tuesday, he said when he saw the film that the running back missed a hole on, it was either second and one or third and one. You know, they ran for nine yards on first down. And you, you know, you, if you run three times in a row, it's easy to come out and say they were vanilla. But if you run on first down for nine yards, you can't say it was a terrible play call. And if you throw on second and one and anything happens other than a catch and a first down is a terrible play play call because you ought to be able to line up and get a yard. And I get that on third and one, you're like, okay, somebody blew an assignment. It happens. You do it again. And now you're vanilla. And yet when you watch the film, it's like, well, literally the play call worked. But if you don't run to the hole, it's execution. The problem is execution. But it doesn't seem like this is ever going to change, does it? And the thing I'd tell Kyle is you're going to have to loosen the reins on the offense a little bit if you want to get where you want to be. And you, you want to be the Pac-12 champ. And if that gets you the Rose Bowl, great. If it gets you the playoff, great. But you want to be the Pac-12 champ, and you're not going to do it without a good passing game. And I don't think you're going to have a good passing game if every mistake is second-guessed publicly. Even if the offensive coordinator can handle that, I don't think the players, I don't think the quarterback and all the receivers can handle it.
3: It's hard it's hard work right like this is this, this is why football is fun this is why coaching football it's why there's so many critics and so many different people that 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 get to take a look at it and go man i think i think you're doing this wrong i don't know that you know i don't know that this is the right decision and i it it's hard and i think one of the things that um i'm starting to learn and i'm and i'm young in my career as a mental performance coach but the first 45 minutes of a uh, after a game are hugely important. <laughs> They're hugely important. And I'm talking about if you're a mom and dad driving your kid home, don't turn the car into a coffin. Like let's, you don't have to come up with all the reasons why the game didn't go well or why your son didn't hustle or your daughter wasn't playing with the energy that she wanted. And this is kind of what Kyle is, right? Like he's the dad of the team and those – those first forty-five minutes are important, and you have to be able to let emotions pass before you make comments. And um, I think for the most part, Kyle does an incredible job of that. I, this one, though, it's kind of like, kind of like you said, you're in the back of the room, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you're gonna watch the film, and you're gonna see that this guy missed the hole, and and that it was a lot more nuanced than just that they were vanilla, right? And <laughs> You know, if, if, if you really wanted to get down and we were to give some true serum to Andy Ludwig, he's probably saying, well, I'm vanilla because you want me to run the ball. It's like, you want me to run? You want me to run it. And so, I, listen, it's, I'm not being critical of Kyle because, like I said, it's, it's his ship and he needs to be able to do it the way he wants. I do think that those first 45 minutes to an hour after a game, regardless of who you are, if you're a fan, if you're a coach, if you're a player, if you're a parent, hugely important hugely important that you that you react well that you say the right things and you do the right things for those first 45 minutes because a lot of the things that you want to say can be said two hours later with a lot less emotion and can be a lot more productive
2: yeah now you tell me thanks a lot (laughs) what am i 15 years late 10 years late you. I paid a heavy price, unfortunately. But uh, anyway, uh, how about the Aggies? You think they got a quarterback there?
3: Uh yeah, I think I think there's I think there's lots of good things for Utah State. I think I think what'll be interesting too is is once they get a new coach, like what what does he assess it to be? I think I think there's quarterbacks there. I think I mean you, you've got you've got the ones that are on scholarship. You've got Peasley who is very, very athletic and has a lot of talent. I think with the right coaching, he becomes a very, very good player. Um, But it'll be interesting. You know, whoever it is that ends up being the next coach is always going to want to bring in his guy or bring in a guy that kind of suits his offense. And so the tough part for the quarterbacks that are on campus will be not only are they trying to beat the guys out that are in the room there, but they're going to be have to they're going to have to beat out the guy that's being brought in. And so, you know, playing quarterback at Division One is is not easy, and um, you, you, you you better love the game because it's going to give and it's going to take. And when it takes, it takes a pound of flesh while it's at it.
0: So I'm struck by the, uh, you know, for all the, the talent and the measurables and the scheming and the film and all that, there is no, uh, there's no replacement for playing hard. And having watched the first few Aggie games, and, then, and I know New Mexico is not nearly as good as Boise State, San Diego State, and Nevada, but playing hard, it looks different. And I watched the NFL, and the Cowboys, it just didn't look like they played hard against the Ravens. They just looked like, we're beaten in this game, we're beaten in this season, what are we doing here? And we don't play hard. Like Everything else shows up, and it's basic, and everybody knows that, and yet, nonetheless, teams still don't play hard. How do you you coach that up? And when you're working as a mental performance coach, how do you get there? Or is there nothing you can do? People either play hard or they don't.
3: No, I think, I think there's things that you can do. I, 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 I won't mention any names here because I, I think you'll know who it is when I'm saying it. But there was a coach who recently moved from one high school. He was, he was fairly successful there, um, even won a state championship. And then he's, he's moved to another high school. I just said to him, I said, hey, what's the biggest difference from high school A to high school B? He's like, I don't have to coach effort. It was, the, it was like the quickest, most poignant statement I'd ever heard. And I've been very, very like pensive about the, the 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 thought or the, the the comment that he made. I don't have to coach effort. I mean, I can't even imagine how easy it is to coach when you don't have to coach effort. It's the hardest thing to do in football. It's the hardest thing to do, just in general. And as a, as a mental performance coach, uh, you know, I I talk to people all the time. I actually compare it to a cell phone, right? And I'll talk to I'll talk to players, and I'm like, so, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally today, what percent are you guys at? And one will raise their hand, and he'll say 73, another one will say 58, and I'll, another one will say 86, you know, and I'm like, awesome, you know, thank you for being honest with me because college sports is a grind, right? You're always playing with some sort of an injury. There's some sort of thing going on in your life. There's difficult things that are going on as a player. And I just talked to him about don't – don't ever let it be an excuse not to give a hundred percent effort. So if you're at fifty three percent today, give me a hundred percent of your fifty three percent. If you if you're at seventy eight percent, give me a hundred percent of your seventy eight percent. Because just like a cell phone, right? Like if we give a hundred percent capacity or hundred percent effort, whether we're at twenty one percent or eighty nine percent, there's still really, really good results. Now we get down to one percent, two percent, things get squampous, we gotta you know, we gotta go to sleep, we gotta recharge, we gotta recalibrate and those sorts of things. But oftentimes we mistake the way that we're feeling for how much energy we're supposed to give give. And so I think that's where it becomes hard. If we can if we can help people to understand that yeah, you don't feel perfect today, but you can certainly be perfect on your effort. You certainly can be perfect on the amount of of effort that you give today, then then it becomes a little bit easier. But as a coach, if you're spending too much time on that now you're starting to get away from X's and O's. Now you're starting to get away from scheming and some of those things. And it's just like, man, it's easy when guys are mature, when guys have come in with the right mindset, they know that they need to work hard every day and they aren't afraid to make mistakes, but they'll play hard. I mean, every coach loves a player that plays hard and plays, they call it playing with your hair on fire, right? They're okay with his mistakes because they know he's going a hundred miles an hour and they can direct him in the right direction. It's the guy that, that comes and sometimes gives 50% and then is awesome on one play because he gives 100% and then you can't find him for the rest of the game. Those are the guys that are hard to coach, and it's tough. It's, It's probably the toughest thing in sport to coach is effort, in my opinion.
0: Riley, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you.
3: Love your show, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Riley Jensen, our college football insider. Frank Dolce talking Utes in about 15 minutes. Stay with us. The Northern Utah High School Basketball Players of the Week Award presented by John Watson Chevrolet and Ogden and honors the top prep athletes each week of the high school season right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Our winners from this week are Garrett Tjen from Viewmont High and Maggie Mendelson from Fremont High t led the Vikings in their season-opening win over Layton. He had 20 points in a 79-70 win. Mendelssohn helped the Silverwolves as they began their season with three wins. She scored 14 points against Orem, 14 more against Dixie, and 17 against Westlake. Make sure to stop by and check out the selection of new and used cars at John Watson Chevrolet, 3535 Wall Avenue in Ogden, proud sponsor of the John Watson Northern Utah High School Basketball Players of the Week Award. PK, you yeah. may be about to get your wish. Not for the reasons you wanted, kind of backdooring it. Certainly not the reason you would have wanted. Oh, I'm going to miss you, DJ. Nonetheless, I'm out of here. Good night, everybody.
1: <laughs> Katie, barred the
0: door. Good night, No, Irene. something far more important than my impending uh, absence. No. no, we don't want that. The University of Washington football program has paused all team-related football activities. Dave Softy Mailer tweets out, Softy KGR. I met him once. Uh, David Locke knows him. Ian Furness knows him. He was in town for a game, so I met him. But uh, so Washington's got COVID issues, and that means the status of the Oregon game is a big old ginormous question mark right now. They're not practicing today. Uh, There's going to be more testing, so we'll see how this goes. We have seen, for a lot of teams, this ends up meaning, if there are a lot of positives, that it's a two-week hold, right? Wisconsin went through it. Utah went through it. Uh, a lot of teams have gone through it. Washington's in first place. If this game isn't played, they, quote-unquote, win the North, 3-1. and one. But they wouldn't be able to play in the Pac-12 title game. You wanted the battle of unbeaten. So, uh, this isn't how you wanted it to happen. And yet, nonetheless, maybe we're left with... USC and Colorado instead of 2-2 uh, two and two Oregon, or 3-2 and two Oregon team.
2: No, this wasn't the way we wanted it to happen, but this is the way we thought there was a possibility, a good possibility, because it just seems like, and when I say the flu, I'm not comparing COVID to the flu in terms of the seriousness, but you know how when you get the flu in your family, it seems like it runs through everybody? That's the point I'm making. Well, it seems like with the COVID situation, it's just run through everybody in the conference at one time or another. Devils lost three games. You lost two games. Blah, 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 blah. You just go down the list, right? Yeah. SC. Well, and it just like it's just a matter of time, it seems, before all of the 12, just speaking specifically to the Pac-12, they're going to have to deal with it. And it's just their time now. So, yeah, that's why I thought from the very beginning, and you go back to that tweet that I put out, that I didn't want to say that there was divisions because I thought that I was hoping that they wouldn't have the divisions. Part of the reason was because of this. And to me, it makes complete sense. Get your two best teams. I don't care what your rules were. Those rules were a waste of time. In retrospect, what they should have said, here's our schedule. There are no rules. Because what's the point of having rules? Because we're probably going to have to amend, if not totally break these rules. So let's forget about any rules, and let's just see when we get there what we want to do. I think that's what they should have done. And now here we are pretty much about there. So let's see what we can do. And in this case, if Colorado, which is a big if, I don't think that they're just going to roll over the Utes by any stretch, but if it should be to where they're undefeated and they have one less game than the Trojans, who they say, let's just say for argument's sake, they're undefeated, pit those two teams against each other at that point. Isn't that the best way to do it?
0: It is, um, but of course, uh, you know, UCLA and Utah get to have a say about that, right?
2: Of course, yes, absolutely, yes, most definitely.
0: But if that's what it comes to, if USC beats UCLA and if Colorado beats Utah, then that's a game I'd want to see. If Washington and Oregon aren't playing, it's really the game I want to see anyway. To be honest with you, it is. Yeah, <laughs> but,
2: I think that's what they should do.
0: But if Oregon and Washington don't play, and Oregon finishes three and two, and Washington finishes three and one, I would I would totally sign off on on a Colorado. If Colorado and USC go and win their games, I would totally sign off on that game.
2: Yeah, so yeah, up. it's it's best for the conference this year. Yeah.
0: All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Frank Dolce coming up next. Stay with us.